All right, you realize tomorrow's the first day of spring? What? Or as we like to call it in Hanford, spummer. <laughs> Who thinks it'll rain again before too much time, huh? Doesn't it, it always rains in... Uh, well, no, this is about the time it rains. Anyway, the rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. The plain. So I could do a whole routine now. But anyway, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 26 tonight. We're studying 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 <clears throat> with a focus on the Holy Spirit and his gifts because that's what the text is about. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. In the early 1950s, Brooklyn-born toy inventor George Lerner came up with the idea of inserting small pronged body and face parts into fruits and vegetables to create what he called Funny Face Man. Mr. Potato Head was born on May 1st, 1952. The original toy cost 98 cents, contained hands, feet, ears, two mouths, Two pairs of eyes, four noses, three hats, eyeglasses, a pipe, and eight felt pieces resembling facial hair. The original Mr. Potato Head kit did not come with a potato body. I remember that. I ruined so many potatoes. <clears throat> you know, because they just, potatoes get kind of weird after you've put a bunch of stuff in them. Parents had to provide their own potato into which children could stick the various pieces. In the 1960s, Finally, government regulations forced the potato head parts to be less sharp, leaving them unable to puncture vegetables easily. By 1964, the company was therefore forced to include a plastic potato body in its kit. And that's the way it is. That was just a little vignette that has nothing to do with anything, right? I thought of Mr. Potato Head because Paul starts talking about various body parts claiming independent identity from the whole body. And if you've ever played with Potato Head as a kid, you remember you did all kinds of weird things. You thought it was so cool to put the ear where the eye was. Oh, it's freakish. He claims that they have independent identity from the whole body. So his point is simple enough. The true nature of your human body, obviously, is that if one body, uh, it is one body consisting of many necessary parts. He's going to argue from that very obvious illustration that the body of Christ on earth, his church, is also one with many parts that are all necessary. The application in Corinth was that the whole body was not to gather together to only speak in tongues, which is what they were doing. Many other manifestations of the Spirit ought to be present as well based on this principle of the body. And so verses, 12, uh, verses 15 and 16, excuse me, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Is it just me or does this read like a stand-up comedy routine? I mean, we're somebody goes into some kind of crazy thing. Obviously, the foot and the ear are parts of the body, regardless of their function differing from the hand and the eye. The parts of the body cannot deny their own place on the body. The ear cannot function as an eye. The foot cannot function as a hand. 
all of them have their divinely appointed place. In the body of Christ, that place is appointed for you by God the Holy Spirit as he gifts you to function according to his will. It would be pretty noticeable if my ear, wanting to be my eye, left its place on the side of my head and was on the front of my face instead. It would be very noticeable. I was going to do that tonight, but it, I still have the potato head with the sharp spikes. But anyway, uh, you, you would notice, right, I say, well, what is that eye doing where that, uh, or that ear doing where that eye should be? It's less noticeable when a believer wants to be or thinks they are gifted in some way or ways that they are not. Because you can appear gifted but be ministering in the energy of the flesh. I want to pause and talk about this for just a minute. It's a little rabbit trail we're going to go on because I think it's important. Christians are always wondering, how do I discover my gift or my gifts? You should also be asking, how do I know if I'm not gifted in the way I want to be, but I'm pursuing it for fleshly reasons? The answer is that there are a lot of ways to answer that question. I'm not trying to be evasive. It's just that every situation can be a little bit different. Let me give you two anecdotes uh, from my experience to mull over, and that's all they are. They're anecdotes, uh, things that happened in my experience. I knew a guy. He was a gifted worship leader, and I mean he was an awesomely gifted worship leader, uh, and, and everyone acknowledged that. He also taught a home Bible study. It was okay, his teaching, in the sense that you'd say he was able to teach. Uh, I mean, it wasn't awful. Uh, you know, you could sit and have fellowship and feel like you learned something about the Bible. But when he announced his plans to go out and start a church as the senior teaching pastor and leave his worship gift, all of the honest brothers giving him counsel told him he was not gifted as a teacher and that he was making a mistake. And all I can say is that he should have heeded their counsel. And so in that case, uh, not that pe- and again, see, you know, I'm not trying to be vague, but not that people can't be wrong, but if everybody that you look to for spiritual counsel and guidance, people who you trust and respect, come to you and say, yeah, this is not you. You don't have this gift. Don't pursue this. You might want to give it a second thought. Uh, no matter how much you feel driven that that is what God has called you to do. Other people have to recognize it because after all, the gifts are to minister to others. I knew a guy who thought he was a gifted Bible teacher. In fact, he told me he was, told me how gifted he was. The trouble was he never, not ever, lifted a finger to do anything in the church. He refused to serve unless he could teach because after all, He was a gifted teacher. He might even have had a gift for teaching, but a person like that really needs to learn humility before it will translate to something meaningful in his teaching. Uh, And and so that's that's kind of a unique situation, but there are people who think, well, this is my gift, and so I, I don't or I can't or I won't do this other stuff that needs to be done or uh, in the body of Christ. We always joke about it, but down at Calvary Costa Mesa, when Chuck uh, was alive and his assistant pastor, Romaine, was alive, when people went down there and said, 
they wanted to teach a Bible study, they'd either hand them a broom or a toilet plunger and put them to work. Uh, and uh, in fact, I'm sure he won't mind me uh, sharing this, but Rich Chafin, who's a pastor at Laguna Creek up in uh, Northern California, he for a time was on staff at Costa Mesa, not as a pastor, but as a janitor. And uh, one day he got a, I think he told us it was a handwritten note on a napkin uh, about one of the toilets that was plugged. And uh, he kept that because he felt like he had failed in his job as a janitor because Chuck had written him a note saying, you know, one of the toilets was uh, plugged and stuff. And so, uh, you know, I, it, it's, you need to have some humility and you need to have some understanding of what it means to serve others. Uh, even if you are a gifted Bible teacher, that, that's okay, that's fine. But um, uh, so in that situation, uh, and again, uh, you know, I made it clear to this individual that he, he just he kind of had an allergy to serving in the body of Christ if it didn't have anything to do with teaching. Uh, and um, I don't know that he's learned that lesson yet. I guess we'll find out. Now, the best way to discover whether you're an ear or an eye is to just gather together with believers and serve them by seeing the needs that they have and by meeting them. We're going to learn in chapter 13 that love is the principal thing. Love others and you will discover your gifts. You don't discover your gifts and then go out and love others with them. You just hang around with the body of Christ. You love other people. And over time, you start to recognize your gift profile, I guess you would say, how God seems to be using you. Verse 17, let's get back into our text now. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? Now, people have opinions on whether they'd rather be deaf versus blind. You ever, you ever done that just out of the clear blue? Say, would you rather be deaf or blind? You know, and then you give reasons. It's kind of a stupid thing to do. It's like, what would you take on a deserted island? And the answer is aspirin because uh, it does a lot more for you than just about any other medication. Uh, so if you're asked that, that's <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but <laughs> aspirin is what you want on a, de- on a desert island. <laughs> An- another stupid comment. But really, all of your members are important in their own right. Uh, you know, uh, whether you think you'd rather be deaf or blind, everything has its own proper function, and especially when they are functioning for the good of the rest of the body. Verse 18 But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. However God the Holy Spirit has gifted you, it's good, and you should accept it joyfully for the greater good of the entire body. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? There wouldn't be a body if your whole body was a single member. You would be some kind of a monstrosity. Don't forget what Paul was speaking to in this argument. Uh, We have a tendency to do that because we're not the church at Corinth. We don't know, uh, we can't feel the local situation the way they could, but we can be reminded of it as I keep doing. The body of believers at Corinth was acting like one giant tongue. In the way they were functioning, they weren't really a body at all. And so if you're, if, if you're Paul and you're saying the, the church is like the body of Christ and it has similarities to the human body, and just like it would be weird if you had friends and one of them was just a big tongue, uh, you know, it's strange that all you people do is get together and speak in tongues. It's not really a functioning body. 
Uh, he says in verse 20, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Many members in Corinth ought to mean the manifestation of many gifts, not just tongues or any other gift for that matter. We keep talking about tongues because it was the problem in Corinth, but it could be another gift as well. When the many uh, members are all functioning, then you've got body life as God intended it to be. And so verse 21, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now Paul seems to add a little twist to the illustration because of another problem they were having in Corinth. We saw in chapter 11, or you see in chapter 11 in your study of uh, the book of 1 Corinthians that uh, when they would get together for communion, at the, or when they'd have a potluck preceding their communion service, uh, people who had a lot of uh, food and drink would keep it to themselves and were even getting drunk while the, those who were poorer weren't uh, getting their share. So it wasn't really a potluck. It was a, it was a BYOB kind of a situation where you brought your own picnic and you ate your own food and weren't sharing. And so there were people who felt superior and others uh, who they thought were inferior. Uh, and, and that's what I think Paul is getting at here. Uh, some su- would suggest that they can get along quite well without other members of the body of Christ. There are a lot of ways believers can think themselves superior to other believers. One is to think that their gift or their gifts are superior. To that we'd say, try cutting down a tree with a hammer or using a saw to drive nails. Now if you're like me, almost nobody is in this area, stupid, but uh, you may not have many tools. And you know, you guys know, when you have the right tool, wow. I mean, you just go like this and it's done. As opposed to, I wonder if I could do that with a screwdriver and how that would work. And you've got your hammer and your plastic. How many of you have broken the plastic handle on a screwdriver by using it as a, a, yeah. It just, I didn't even know that could happen. And all of a sudden, wow, you know, shards in my face and all that. Uh, Crazy stuff that you do when you have the wrong tools and you just think, well, I just, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, I'll try it. And then you really shouldn't. You need the right tools. And so uh, same thing with the gifts. Um, you, you can't do without certain gifts. There are no superior gifts. It depends on the situation that you're in. Another way believers think themselves superior has to do with wealth and social status, um, education, those things like that. There's no denying that we have a natural bent to think that those with intelligence or wealth or power are somehow more blessed by God. If you read the warnings, for example, though, in the New Testament to those who are rich, you'll be glad you're not. And so all these people who think, well, I'm superior because I'm wealthy, God has blessed me with you know, wealth and that makes me superior, uh, man, you, you better start reading uh, in Timothy what God says to the wealthy uh, and, and how their wealth can sometimes corrupt them and control them uh, and all. And so uh, that is not a mark of superiority. Maybe you can think of some other ways believers can feel superior. The point is we are one body gathering together to minister to one another as we've been gifted by God. Verse 22, no, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Uh, Your weaker members are your internal organs. They need protection from the outside to go on functioning. 
but you can't function properly without them. Modern medicine can compensate to a certain extent, such as dialysis for kidney function, but that only proves Paul's point about how valuable these weaker uh, things are, Uh, and, and so we can't really live without them. Verse 23, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. Here he's talking about wearing clothing and making a general observation that the very act of adorning those parts of the body while letting others mostly alone shows that we generally care for our whole body as it is appropriate. Verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but the members should have the same care for one another. And so Paul's starting to drive home his point Your human body is a marvel of cooperation in order to function properly and allow you to do remarkable things. Likewise, the body of Christ must cooperate according to God's gifting in order to accomplish its purpose on the earth. For example, I've mentioned, uh, and we'll get there in chapter 14, that because everyone in Corinth was speaking in tongues simultaneously at their services, young believers and non-believers who attended thought they were crazy, and that's the exact language that Paul uses. He said they think you're crazy. They should instead have been functioning properly as a body should so that those who visited them would instead be, and I quote now, convinced by all, be convicted by all, and so falling down on their faces, they will worship God and report that God is truly among you. And so Paul, when we get to chapter 14, he's going to say, here are two alternatives. You're meeting together as a church body, and in the one alternative, you're emphasizing one particular gift, and young believers and non-believers who are coming in are leaving thinking those people are crazy, and they don't want to have anything to do with you or the Lord. Or you can be functioning properly as a body of believers with all of the gifts firing, and God orchestrating that, and people can see the manifestation of the Spirit in your midst, and they can fall down and say, truly God is in your midst. Well, I mean, that, that's a huge no-brainer as far as which one you'd rather be. And so Paul says that happens when the whole body functions together as one. And if one member suffers, verse 26, all the members suffer with it, or if one is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Ever have an abscessed tooth? How many of you have had an abscessed tooth? Oh, man. I woke up one night, and I'm sure this happened to you, and you just think, remember, you know when you wake up in the middle of the night in pain, and for the, there's however many seconds when you think, huh, I wonder why I just woke up. Oh! And, and then, you know, and then it just, that comes in waves, and you're trying to think of ways to, to rip off your jaw, you know, and stuff. I, I totally can relate to that scene in Castaway where Tom Hanks forces a tooth out using uh, the blade of an ice skate. Do you remember that? It's so, oh, you're watching it and you're thinking, what's he doing? Anybody who's had an abscessed tooth knows I would do that. If, if I knew I couldn't go to the dentist the next day, I would do anything to get that thing out of there. Uh, and so that's, you know, we all know how a, a small area of our body can totally dominate 
when it's hurting. As far as one member of my physical body being honored, I'm at a loss for an analogy. The closest I can come is my love of physical therapy that I've been sharing with you lately. I, I haven't been to physical therapy in years, but I miss it. Uh, when, they, when they attach that TENS unit to your back, how many of you have been on TENS units and they crank up the voltage? Oh, man, your whole body is honored in that moment. I mean, when you're just... <laughs> Thank you. So relaxed, you know. I also used to lie. I went to a chiropractor years ago, and I know it's dangerous. I don't think I'd let him do it anymore, but, you know, they, kind of, they always want to crack your neck, you know, and, and they just like, and all of a sudden, <laughs> like that, and, you th- and for a minute you think, I said, I'm paralyzed. There's, this, there's a noise and a release of pressure, but, you know, it actually, oh, man, your whole body is honored as that moment comes, but I'm not recommending that anymore. I mean, just seeing too many spine shows where they break your neck like that, you know. I think, I think a lot of chiropractors are former KGB is actually, that's their major skill. How is your neck? Anyway, um, Paul was saying, here's, here's a simple way of saying what Paul is saying. Start acting like a body rather than a bunch of independent body parts. That's all he was saying. Olaf, the, uh, Olaf, excuse me, the snowman in Frozen is an immediate classic Disney character. One of the things that's fun with him is that his body parts and his carrot nose and his branch arms are always coming off or getting rearranged. He can't function properly until he's put back together again. Any church, whether it's cessationist or continua, uh, continuationist, that is overemphasizing a particular manifestation of the Holy Spirit is not functioning properly, not according to Paul anyway. As we pointed out, there is no biblical teaching that certain gifts have ceased. And by that I mean you can't go to any proof text. There's no real area of Scripture or verses of Scripture that say with absolute clarity certain gifts have ceased in the era in which we live. There are texts, there's a text, at least one in 1 Corinthians uh, that we'll see in chapter 13 that says certain gifts will cease, but they seem to cease when Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning on the earth, when that which is perfect has come. Uh, and so we'll get to that. But there's, uh, you may not believe this, but it's actually true. There, there isn't a biblical proof text that you can argue from successfully that says certain gifts of the Spirit have ceased. And so there are historical arguments, but they're inaccurate at best. There are observational arguments such as, well, gee whiz, I don't see people speaking in tongues in Acts 28. And that's later in the life of the church. Sure, they spoke in tongues in the beginning, but by the end they weren't anymore, so they had outgrown it. Well, that's, um, as Chuck Smith used to say, hooey. Remember Chuck would say that? I don't know what who he is. I hope it's nothing too bad. But anyway, uh, that, that just doesn't make any sense because they're not really talking about the gifts of the Spirit in Acts 28. Paul is rebuking the Jews for rejecting Christ. I mean, it, it just makes no sense at all, the observational arguments. If you say, this is my opinion, if you say certain gifts have ceased, you're obviously emphasizing other gifts over them because you're saying they don't exist, they can't be exercised, and so you're just not functioning properly as a body. Parts of the body that God has raised up are not there, and, and, and so that body, is, as, 
uh, it can be functioning, it can still be used by the Lord, but it's not functioning properly. A continuationist church that is like Corinth, emphasizing certain gifts because they seem outwardly to be more supernatural, well, that is just as wrong. The Pentecostals, the Charismatics, whatever you want to call them, who say these things must happen every time or else God is not present, that's just as wrong. That's emphasizing certain gifts over other gifts, and it's not really allowing the Lord to choose from his toolbox what he wants to do in that meeting at that time for those people. And... um, I can't say it any plainer than that. We need to act like a body whose many members are functioning together as the Lord leads us by his Holy Spirit. Amen? All right.